Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to advance in leadership, then this podcast is for you. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker, and Monique Marquez, senior corporate leader, ex-Googler, and diversity expert. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Monica Marquez, your host for today's episode. True philanthropy requires a disruptive mindset, innovative thinking, and an entrepreneurial drive to create opportunities. My guest today, Ana Marie Arguilagos, embodies these competencies in spades. Ana Marie is the president and CEO of Hispanics in Philanthropy, also known as HIP, a transnational network of foundations and philanthropists that make impactful investments in the Latino community in the U.S. and across Latin America. She is guiding HIP with a bold vision to usher in a new generation of philanthropy that is for, by, and about the Latino community. Ana Marie has paved the way for a new era to democratize philanthropy. She's an entrepreneurial thinker bridging diverse agendas with a track record of working within the philanthropic, public, and nonprofit sectors. From the Ford Foundation, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, Unidos U.S., the Annie E. Casey Foundation, to HIP, she has led with her thoughtful curiosity to bridge diverse agendas. In 2020, HIP was one of the 384 organizations that received a gift from McKinsey Scott. In addition, HIP's Power Up Fund received a $3 million grant from Google.org to support Latinx-owned small businesses. Ana Marie's accomplishments are a testament to her entrepreneurial spirit that seeks to center Latinx voices and leadership. Ana Marie received her master's degree in public administration from Harvard University and her bachelor's degree in international relations from American University. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources referenced in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Ana Marie. Welcome, Ana Marie. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond Barriers podcast. We are thrilled to have you on. Um, tell us a little bit about who you are and your journey as you um, kind of progressed in your lifetime. Thank you, Monica. I'm such a fan, so it's a great pleasure to be here with you. Um, my journey, my journey started young. Um, I grew up, you know, a Latina family. We were very um, nurtured. We lived really, you know, in a little bubble because we, my parents uh -huh. were immigrants. And so, you know, everyone was like huddled together, making, <laughs> making ends meet. Mm -hmm. um, but then I got a job right when I was um, 15 and I was a cashier at the pharmacy, the Omni Hotel in downtown Miami. Mm, okay. And that was great. Um, you know, to learn, it was a young entrepreneurs who had this pharmacy. But then one day I got escorted by the police upstairs to the hotel. I couldn't go home. And the reason wow. why I got escorted upstairs, and it wasn't just me, it was everybody who was working in this big tower at the Omni Hotel, was because Miami was on fire. <gasps> uh, you could actually look across the skyline and the mm -hmm. whole city was on fire. I mean, it's a it's a precedent to what we see now mm -hmm. um, with um, there were riots because of police brutality. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I realized in that moment, the inequities, right? I, it gave me a peek outside of my little um, bubble of where mm-hmm. we were living in, you know, in Southwest 8th Street, you know, mm-hmm. and it was just shocking to me, the realization of how, you know, we, we didn't have very much in hindsight, but we had, we had so much, you know, mm-hmm. but there were so many people that were, um, we're fighting for equity and mm-hmm. for um, their rights and for the systems to be shifted. And so that really put fire in my belly to do the work that I am doing. I've always worked in either the nonprofit sector or in government mm-hmm. um, and philanthropy, uh, always in places that are really about making this world a better place for all of us. Wow, that's such a profound story. And it's, you know, that moment where you found kind of, you said the fire in your belly, kind of your purpose. And once you understood that, how did you gain clarity on, you know, the career path? Or how did you start saying, you know, how did you figure out that you wanted to move forward in really focusing on that? And what were the next steps you did in order to start working in the nonprofits? That was really hard because in my family, nobody had even gone to college, right? Yes. So, so it was uh-huh. like, uh, and then when I got myself into college on a full scholarship, I picked something really cryptic, international relations. And I kept going home and my mom and my grandma would be like, pero what is that? <laughs> you know, they could have understood like if I got a business degree or if I told them I'm going to be a lawyer or a doctor, but, um, and I didn't know what it was either. I just sort of like picked something like just totally random that looked interesting because there was nobody to coach mm-hmm. us back then. Now yeah. there's, you know, the internet, so you can like sort of do self tutorial, but back then it was just sort of like <laughs> blindly piecing your way forward. And yes. when I talk to folks, I say, um, you know, have a direction, but don't have like this roadmap that is so, so uh, defined that you actually put blinders on yourself because you might miss some of like the opportunities that were never like, yes. would, you would never have imagined that they were part of your roadmap. Um, I ended up working uh, for the Clinton administration as an appointee. Wow. That was never in my roadmap, you know, right. I wouldn't have imagined that in a million years, I ended up working in philanthropy. I didn't know what philanthropy was, um, but these are opportunities that are put in front of you. And so you have to say, oh, let me try, let me test and yes. be open to that. So yeah, have a direction, but um, not like a, not a play by play with, <laughs> because um, things happen and they happen for a purpose. And, and that's what really has been my story. Um, very easily, I could have still been Mm-hmm. you know, a community organizer working and this is a great, you know, this is wonderful. I know amazing community organizers, but very easily I would have been there because I was perfectly happy, you know, mm-hmm. doing that kind of work. Um, but then I've been testing. I think part of what I like, and it's just my secret power, and mm-hmm. we all have secret, yes. secret powers, is, you know, being a person that's about, um, relationships and bridging, bridging agendas. And so what I've come to be doing is bridging like the nonprofit and the community with the advocacy, with the government, with the philanthropy and putting all of those together. And believe me, they're all different languages. And Mm -hmm. so you 
some of us that are bridge builders, um, in addition to others that are in that exact space that um, I've never been in the corporate space. That's something that, you know, maybe I still have left to do. Um, and that would be cool. But um, I think, yeah, just being open to opportunities and we all have imposter syndrome, you know, whether you're yes. just starting in your career or you're ending it. I don't know any woman who doesn't have imposter syndrome. And so it's kind of scary when you like plop yourself into something that's brand new, but um, just fight against that imposter syndrome and just try it. Yes. Um, that's such insightful <clears throat> feedback and, and advice because what resonated with me is, you know, as you mentioned, you went off to college, you were first generation college, and it resonated with me because I was in the, in the same boat. And you pick a major because you, it sounded interesting. And in some cases, because you have a limited frame of reference, right? And so you don't know what is out there. So what I love that you say is that, you know, don't be so tied to what it is that you know, because you don't know what you don't know. And I'll never forget when, you know, I was going to school to be a doctor. I majored in biology. And then you get there and you realize there's so many other opportunities. And then, you know, it's like, okay, well, maybe I need to try out some of these other things. And, you know, just don't knock it till you try it. And maybe you will find that there's some alignment there. So, um, Absolutely. But, I ended up doing international relations just because uh -huh. it looked interesting. But then when I graduated, I was like, really, am I going to go work for the, you know, CIA or something? <laughs> it made no sense. Uh -huh. um, I ended up then realizing, oh, there's just as much poverty in this country mm -hmm. and underserved communities in this country. I don't need to go abroad. I should be working domestically. And so I ended up working domestically, even though I went to school for international relations. It wasn't until like 30 years later when I went to work for the Ford Foundation that I found myself 30 years later uh -huh. using the international relations uh, degree that I had started off with. It eventually became useful, uh, but who would have known? <laughs> yeah. And it does come back sometimes full circle. And I think, you know, the what I like about your story is you graduated with this international relations degree, but you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't define what it is that you're going to do. You leverage kind of, like you said, you identify your strengths and your skill sets and you move forward. Now you mentioned you identified that your strengths were around relationship building and creating bridges and things like that, which is extremely important in terms of really being able to um, build lasting relationships and being able to leverage those relationships um, kind of, you know, for influential um, you know, it, just to kind of help leverage and influence what it is that you're doing in your work. And that comes down to community and how important community and your network is. Can you share how you kind of gain access to influential leaders or build influential relationships? How do you go about establishing those? I think hyper empathy mm. would be something that you have to have, because yes. especially when you're trying to build these bridges, you have to be listening very carefully. You have to be asking a lot of questions before you act. Mm. And so um, that's very important. Uh, trust is key. Mm. Uh, if you, you have to be listening to those that are impacted and really understand, and you have to trust them and they have to be able to trust you. 
Without that, there is no relationships. And without relationships, you're not going to get very far because you can be brilliant, working really hard, uh, doing really good work. But if no one's noticing, it's, you're going to be very limited. Um, so that's important. Um, I think uh, so relationships, trust, hyper-empathy, listening, those are all important, I think, mm. to be able to, to be successful. I would add as an aside um, that you have to always also start with self-care. Mm. If you're not, and that, I think, has yes. really been an important lesson during this past year with the impacts of uh, not just COVID, but uh, the tension in, in our the world in which we're living with racial equity and seeing after, you know, 30, 40 mm-hmm. years, how people are still being murdered in the streets yes. um, for just a walking while black, right? Right. Uh, and the tension, I, I live in Washington, D.C., two miles from the Capitol. And mm-hmm. what happened on January 6th was just, you have to just breathe. <laughs> and, yes. um, and so those are all important components, I think. Yes, absolutely. Now, wanting to switch gears a little bit, you talked um, some about um, <clears throat> in moving forward, you know, you mentioned you worked for the Clinton administration and, you know, you had this opportunity that you, you absolutely jumped on because it's an opportunity of a lifetime. But given that you were kind of first generation college, first generation kind of going off into some of these roles um, and jobs that you didn't really have a support system from a family perspective to kind of guide you and advise you and nurture you. How did you identify mentors and sponsors to, you know, to help guide you or how did you kind of learn to navigate that path? Mm -hmm. Yeah. My family supported me in that they had so much love and they said, you can do whatever you want. They expected me to be a secretary. Um, (laughs) My my grandfather took me to typing school and I like flunked typing school on purpose because I was like, I'm not going to be a secretary. Um, (laughs) I I ended up being a secretary of, because I also worked for president Obama, but I was Mm -hmm. a deputy assistant secretary. So I wish my grandpa had gotten to see that. So that was fun. But how I identified, I really sought, out women that were that had worked really hard and that understood the power of, of investing in other women. So, mm. and I couldn't have done it without them because they believed in me and they would set, sit me down when they thought I was making mistakes mm-hmm. <laughs> and like not let me move. And even though there were a lot of tears, they would like confront what you're doing and pay attention and be careful. We don't want you to be a statistic because I was a single mom. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm very, very lucky that uh, I was open to all of these women and open to the hard lessons of what they were offering me yes. and, and pushed through that um, because of them. I mean, I got a, a full scholarship to Harvard um, wow. and I went with my, my little seven-year-old with Alexia who actually came up on stage with me to graduate because it was the two oh. of us doing it together. So that was really sweet. But um, it, it's, it, you have to find a network of women uh, to support you. And that's women uh, 
like that are both your peers, but mm -hmm. also women that have done that and listen to them because they have so many lessons, even though the death lessons might sound dated, they're not, there's just, there's a lot of that transcends. And um, I just, I'm, that, that's very powerful. That's beautiful. And you mentioned a little, you know, getting the feedback, like you said, sometimes there are tears, but then internalizing that feedback, learning from it and leveling up using that feedback. Um, but at the same time, sometimes that feedback can leave you with kind of limiting beliefs or fears. How, what are some of the techniques you use throughout your life and, and even currently now to get past and overcome fears and limiting beliefs? So you have to pay attention to what's in your heart, your mind, but also your body. You know, mm -hmm. how you sit, how you stand, uh -huh. um, that has an impact in how you say things and mm -hmm. how words come out and how you're breathing. And so for me, it was very valuable when I learned the physicality of, of, of actually how I how I hold myself and mm -hmm. that and how that impacts uh, your tone of voice mm -hmm. and uh, the the cadence with which you speak and paying attention to that has been um, that that shifted a lot for mm -hmm. me um, understanding that even if I was terrified if I stood up straight mm -hmm. and breathe, breathe slowly I could say scary things, <laughs> things <laughs> you, know, that, you know talk back to a boss I, mean, uh -huh. I was very excited about and it I felt more powerful automatically um yeah. no one really teaches you that you have to like learn it and then it's like for me it was a big aha maybe it's it's not such a big aha but for me learning how to use your body to feel yes. less of an imposter and more of how feel like you have more presence and more power was very important because um I mean I've worked in jobs that were very, um, not just, you know, completely, I, you know, anti-Latino, anti-immigrant, anti-women. I felt like anti-young, you know, I just <laughs> felt like everything was against me for mm -hmm. a while. Um, and so you have to gather your strength and your power from other sources. That's so important. And it's very true. I mean, research has shown like, you know, Amy Cuddy's research on the whole power pose and standing there for two minutes, like, you know, Wonder Woman or something. And, and like you said, harnessing that power so that you can um, move forward and be powerful and say the things that you're scared to say. It's so important. And I, and I love that you use that. It's a, it's a habit that you've kind of used to kind of bring yourself forward. And I think it's so important for our listeners to hear that you do have to embody these things, the physiology of like sitting up straight and powerful and um, it kind of leading with that confidence is so important. Um, thank you for sharing that. Now, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit because you work with a lot of organizations and a lot of, you know, you help develop a lot of leaders in the nonprofit sector and things like that. And one of the most important things, right, to be able to get ahead is for them to set goals for themselves or their organization, but then also execute on those goals. Um, what are some tips you can share on, you know, how people set goals and then actually execute on them? How do you actually execute and reach those goals? Hmm. 
and that's when working with organizations. Yeah. Um, I'm married to a gorgeous Navajo man, and he taught me about thinking about seven generations forward. Mm. And so you're thinking for the long term, you're thinking uh, for the long term of your community. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's, I think, one of the anchors that I would think about, how will this impact in the short term, but also thinking in the long term. Mm-hmm. Also, when we're t- walk, working with communities, you have to think about what's tangible mm-hmm. and what's intangible. And often what's intangible is so much more important. I'm thinking about like civic engagement and mm-hmm. power building and movement building and, and, you know, the trust building, all of this work that we were talking about earlier. Um, where we tend to be visual mm-hmm. and we tend to be quantitative. And uh, so I, I think you have to push for balance because the mm-hmm. balance between all of those is important and always make sure that you're thinking about the the whole picture. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, what I hear you say is that, you know, I love that you said thinking seven generations ahead, because that is the compelling future, right? That's, that's that compelling future that motivates you to keep moving forward. And then really thinking about the, you know, from a short term or even tangible, intangible of what are the things that you need to do right now, kind of focusing on the right thing at the right time to move those things forward is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, also thinking about where is the power sitting, right? Yes. And, and and where should the power be sitting and, you know, figuring out, you know, different systems were created by different people for different purposes. And so whatever space you're working in, you need to think about the power structure. What if you could pinpoint the invisible ceilings limiting your success? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers so you can take action and gain unstoppable momentum to advance as a future ready leader. Well, That's exactly what the Beyond Barriers quiz will help you discover. You'll get your personalized score based on the 25 essential elements proven to accelerate success in the digital age, so you can understand what's holding you back and where to focus your efforts. The Beyond Barriers quiz is completely free and takes just a few minutes. Go to imbeyondbarriers.com slash quiz and take the quiz today. Yeah. So you were talking about, you know, creating these movements and telling the story and then being able to convey that story to people to get them motivated and, you know, inspired to kind of join the movement. And especially with a lot of the nonprofits that you work with, like how do they articulate or share that story in order for people to be compelled to move along with them? I think what's happening more and more is that organizations whether it's foundations, which I work with, or mm-hmm. donors, or even the government, there's more of an understanding that you have to listen to those that are most impacted. Mm. Those that are impacted um, already understand and have been right. waving the flag saying, you need to listen to us, those that are, you know, that understand and are living this day to day. And we know the solutions, trust us, uh, trust is key to do this collective problem solving. But for too many years, um, 
others that are sitting far away at a desk have felt like they have the answers. And so I think that to disrupt and to reimagine and to rebuild, um, we need to build a system that does listen to those mm-hmm. um, with the lived experience. And so that shift is very important for me it's key and mm-hmm. it, it's the it's key to this, a lot of the solutions of the problems that we're experiencing right now yeah. and if we start with that at the core um i think you can then build 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 that's so insightful because it is really listening to understand the pain points and what are the pain points so that you know you can be the bridge to help you know get to the solution. Not only that, but what are, what is the what is rational? Mm. Um, I'm here sitting in uh, you know Washington D.C. What's rational for me is very different than what is rational for someone who's living like in the colonias in McAllen, Texas, mm-hmm. or what's rational for the person in McAllen, Texas is very different than what's happening up, you know, if you're living in Seattle, you know, it's mm-hmm. just each, it, it's very, very different. And so we can only work from our lived experience and we have to understand um, that that just really varies. And so that's why you, that listening, if anything else is, is you know, come away with that of, of listening before you and, and asking, before you act. Mm-hmm. That's so <clears throat> that's fantastic. Now, shifting gears a little bit, you work for, you know, you work and you kind of drive and lead the Hispanics in philanthropy. And I know that, you know, many of our listeners and most of the people I know and myself, there's a passion for contribution. And, you know, there is always that philanthropic bone in us that is always wanting to, you know, give back. Tell, talk a little bit about what you do with your organization and, you know, how, you know, how people can get involved and stay in the loop with what the, the type of work that you do. Yeah, it's such fun work. I've been here three years now and every day is new and, and it's, it's a great to be able to um, be leading this organization into the next generation. Um, Americans are very generous people. We're so giving. We give during good times. And when there's crisis, like now, we're even more and more generous. Latinos Mm -hmm. as well are very, very giving. We give in different ways, Mm -hmm. um, given that, you know, our our culture, we're much more relational in how we give. And Mm -hmm. so what we're trying to build is an organization that celebrates the generosity of our people, celebrates how we're givers, but also builds um, pipelines and pathways so that there's lots of ways of giving, Mm -hmm. right? So you can give through the United Way, which is fantastic. You can give to your community foundation, which is fantastic, but you can also give through crowdfunding. So, right, if you give $25 a year, you're a philanthropist, right? You're Mm -hmm. a giver. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of power in being a philanthropist. so we have crowdfunding, we have digital giving circles, which are great because then you can give recurring. Um, you can give more, right? You can give $2,500 and you can like, there's things that are about impact investing, right? So it, mm-hmm. which is, I think what the wave of the future, which is 
uh, a double bottom line. So you're giving, you're giving a charitable contribution, but you're investing in entrepreneurs and Latinas mm. businesses. There's Latinas are on fire. Um, right now, Latinas are the number one economic engine for our entrepreneurs. And wow. they're doing this without any fairy dust, right? Imagine <laughs> if we put a little bit of fairy dust, it's, yes. it's going to be amazing. That's why I mean, look, administration after administration, the SBA, the head of the Small Business Administration is pretty much always a Latina. That's mm. for our reason, because our <laughs> women are incredible entrepreneurs. And so we have something called the Power Up Fund, which is investing in Latina businesses. Mm -hmm. We're really excited about that. We're really excited about HipGive, which is our crowdfunding site, which is free. If you mm -hmm. do GoFundMe, they take 12% uh, right off the top. Uh, wow. HipGive is completely free for um, our nonprofits. So we're excited about things like that. Um, because what we want to do is make sure that there's ways to make it easy to give. Yes. That's fantastic. And I love that, you know, all the work that you all are doing, but I think it's, you know, phenomenal to see, like you said, the Latina entrepreneur, the Latinas are on fire um, because it is so important to make sure that, you know, they get a little bit more fairy dust to help them, you know, move along because I've always believed, you know, women hold a path to the sky, right? And, you know, but there's also a compounding effect when you, you know, it's almost kind of like you touch, um, you know, when you touch and you help a female entrepreneur, it's a multiplier effect because they help so many others, right? And it's like, you know, be it their their immediate family, extended family, and then like their extended circles of, of contact. So I think it's so important to invest in that because you are kind of, it, there's that trickle trickle down effect as well. Absolutely. Our Power Up Fund is working in Puerto Rico, in Miami, in El Paso, in Los Angeles, New York. And I think pretty soon we're going to be starting in Cleveland, Ohio. And after that, the whole entire country, I hope. And we're also actually working in Mexico, Central America, mm -hmm. Colombia. So really thinking about the hemisphere. That's another thing that we haven't talked about um, mm -hmm. as Latinas, uh, you know, mm -hmm. Thinking about the whole entire hemisphere, the Caribbean, and the mm, power of, yes. of thinking across the hemisphere. If you were in in France, you would be thinking about the whole EU, right? And the right. power of a whole, you know. So I think we need to be thinking about the power of our hemisphere, and um, that's exciting to to think about that for the future as well. That's fantastic. And, you know, before we close, I do want to give you an opportunity because I know our listeners are going to, you know, want to hear more from you or want to hear more about the work you do, or if there's ways that, you know, others can get involved or contribute. What's the best way to, you know, stay in contact with you or to just learn more about um, your organization? Sure. So we are hiponline.org, hiponline.org, or you can follow us on social media, which is BHIP, um, BHIP Give. Mm -hmm. uh, you can also, anybody can come to our conference. You don't have to be Latina or Latino to come to our mm -hmm. conference. Yeah. It's anybody who's interested in philanthropy, who's interested in the nonprofit sector. Our conference will be in September. Uh, September 13th and 14th this year in, in Los Angeles, knock on wood, that we can uh, have a conference socially distanced outdoors by then. We're very optimistic. But um, yeah, we work in multiracial 
um, multiracial uh, coalitions. Mm -hmm. So we work very closely with uh, friends that are Native Americans in philanthropy, uh, with uh, the African American community, which is called APTI, which uh, with APIP, which is a um, um, Asian American. So it's a lot mm -hmm. about um, coalition building. We're working around education, around health, and really looking at all of the factors that are going into how we make this country uh, a much better and always continuing to be better place to live for everybody. That is fantastic. And thank you, you know, on behalf of Beyond Barriers for all the work that you are doing in really helping accelerate success for all of these organizations that you invest in. And again, thank you for your time and sharing your story um, of success. I mean, it's inspirational to hear how, you know, you went from this young Latina, you know, not really understanding or knowing, uh, you know, international relations to turning into a leader leading an organization that is helping helping so many people in, in this space of, you know, contribution. So thank you so much for oh, Monica, time. Thank you. I, I stand on the shoulders of everyone that came before me and I'm here to help because um, you got to pay it forward. You got to pay it backwards and <laughs> sideways. Uh, you know, there's a lot of yeah. work to do. <laughs> Great. But thank you for everything that you're doing to uh, bring our women forward and to really support them. It's, it's an honor to be here with you today. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend about it and subscribe to get new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests. See you next episode.